Hello and welcome to an ICE Tech Talks podcast. My name is Mark Hansford, Director of Engineering Knowledge here at the ICE. Every industrial sector must dramatically cut their carbon emissions if we are going to reduce the impacts of climate change, none more so than transport. In the UK, transport is responsible for more greenhouse gas emissions than any other sector, contributing around 24% of the UK's total emissions. If a country is to achieve its target of being net zero by 2050, the transport sector will have to decarbonise very rapidly. Over the last decade, carbon emissions from cars have fallen from 72 million tonnes to 52 million tonnes, as the uptake of hybrid and electric vehicles has increased. But emissions from heavy goods vehicles have stayed the same, at around 90 million tonnes, because most HGVs run on diesel engines. The UK government has banned the sale of new diesel-powered HGVs from 2040, but the freight sector is still testing alternatives. These include electric power, but it is not possible to simply scale up the batteries from cars to use in HGVs because of the weight of trucks. If the freight sector is going to decarbonise as quickly as it needs to, other technologies will have to be explored. One possible solution is an electric road system, or ERS, which combines static charging for battery-powered HGVs with dynamic charging through overhead wires. The theory behind the system is that trucks would not need to have large batteries as they can top up on the road, eliminating many of the problems associated with developing and manufacturing batteries with a big enough range for road haulage. The system is being championed in the UK by the Electric Road Consortium, which wants to trial the technology with a demonstration project on a 41km stretch of the M180 in the Humber region. Our guests today are two members of that consortium, Justin Moss and Andy Watson. Justin is Head of Business Development Electrification at Siemens Mobility Limited and Chair of the Railway Industry Association North. He has over 27 years experience in the rail, electrification, mechanical and electrical projects of which over 15 years has been in the rail industry. Andy is a civil engineer and director at Central Government Advisory at Costain Group. He has previously worked for Highways England, now National Highways, as divisional director of major projects and as surface access program lead for Heathrow Airport Limited. Justin and Andy, thank you very much for joining us today. No problem. Thank you. So, I mean, let's kick off with the obvious question um why can't we just put freight on rail instead of roads it is a challenge that uh, i'm always asked because obviously we're looking at taking rail technology and put it on the road for hgvs and there is certainly a big swell of um, interest and need to put more freight on the railways uh, and which we do support we're looking at a full system because if you look at the logistics and how much it's increased over the years especially since covid time you can't get away with just rail as a solution. If we do increase the rail and double it on, on freights, effectively, uh, you still would have the, the issues with the train passages at the moment. And certainly the rail, if you look between sort of Liverpool and Hull, uh, one of the issues you have is there isn't the freight gauge to go underneath the tunnels on the Transpennine. So freight trains to get across have to go via Scotland, which isn't the right solution. So you need a mix of a system which includes rail freight and increases it on there, but has the agility of trucks. Uh, go on, Andy. And, and uh, realistically, some sim- simple facts and figures. Um, the rail, um, the rail network in the UK currently carries about eight, eight to ten percent of the freight um, on on the highway network. So even if you can double the rail capacity, you're only taking eight to ten percent off the highway network. Yeah, and as many of the listeners will know, I mean, one of the many arguments 
latest arguments for high speed too is its ability to free up some capacity but hey we all know how much HS2 is costing, and so that puts, I guess, into context how difficult it would be to increase that 8% significantly. Yep, indeed. Um, you know, it's a, it's a huge task to um, engineer your way out of it in the, in the rail sector. Yeah, okay. So if, if rail's not realistic, what other alternatives is the freight industry looking at? Justin, do you want to kick us off on that one? Yeah, so effectively if you look at what the the freight industry and and the governments were looking at um, the climate change committee came out with a report in the region about three or four years ago which looked at how you reduce the carbon in the freight industry especially on on hgv trucks Uh, and they put a plan together a program to look at certainly the big three alternatives which was uh, bringing in hydrogen uh, bringing in big battery or looking at electric roads and through electric roads various different types of iterations of what you can do Uh, so that's what they're looking at as the future of what that freight technology would go down uh, to make sure it's decarbonized. So, um, you know, as you say, big batteries, hydrogen are, are, are alternatives which are un- under under discussion. But but today we kind of specifically want to look at the electric road system and all those sort of three options. Um, so, well, I guess talk, talk us through that. How, how will it work? Yeah, so we've... As Siemens have developed a concept called e-highways or dynamic charging. So what that does is it's, um, I think, a really good way of showing innovation because it's not coming up with something completely new. It's taking something that's done in a different industry or a different way and putting it onto the HGV trucks uh, industry. So effectively what we've looked at is bringing overhead line on the slow lane of the motorway, which enables a truck to attach a pantograph to it. So it's very similar to what you would see in major cities with trams, where you effectively will have a tram putting a pantograph along, going around the roads, but they're on fixed tracks. The challenges we have compared to um, light rail or for freight or for lorries is that they run on rubber wheels and they have to have the agility of, of moving around and they can't just stick to a fixed lane um, or fixed tracks. So what we've had to do is put the neutral and live up in the air because they're on rubber wheels rather than the neutral coming through the actual train track itself. So using the same voltages what you would apply in a city for light rail, we've used that concept to electrify trucks as they're driving along so that you can attach the pantograph. And uh, Yeah, the, the really, uh, one of the really important features of um, ERS is that it's, um, it's a complementary technology to both hydrogen and a uh, big battery. So if you, you know, if you, if you were to bring ERS into play, that dynamic charging um, reduces the size of the battery such that um, you know, a 44 ton uh, vehicle becomes um, doable with a, with a battery solution. Um, and um, also it would reduce the consumption of hydrogen um, in, in the, if we were to go to hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Okay, so it's quite conceivable that an, that an HGV would use, for part of its journey, would be using the pantograph power, but at a, at a end-to-end, it would switch to whether it be so battery it can, or hydrogen. It can work with yeah. both other technologies, which is a, an important feature that people people... Sometimes look at this and think there's there's three technologies. There's probably two and a half in that the ERS actually supports both the others. Yeah. So if you look at it as um, there's no real one silver bullet that's going to solve the logistics freight for HGVs. Uh, so we need to really look at it as a full system. Uh, and as Andrew said, is that effectively this is if you think of it as another charging point, except for you're doing it as you're driving rather than static. You know, it works alongside. So 
you know, we looked at various different models of how logistics works, uh, how they run their journeys, so we could make sure that you have that ability to run as you go. So they're not having to stop on sort of like look for a charging point at their four hour break and getting that sort of range anxiety. They can charge where they're going. So whilst they can stop and charge, it's not absolute requirement. So that we felt that that was really important. And that's why as a full system, it enables you to electrify the main roads or traffic routes the HCVs go, but enable to put static charging points around and complements other technologies. And as you say, this is this is a kind of innovation which isn't completely out of the box, brand new thinking. This is really kind of melding together technologies that already exist. You can, you know, we have bi-mode trains, so I guess why not bi-mode or tri-mode HGVs? You could argue um, it can buy it, it, it can buy time to um, to a place where maybe one of the other technology technologies in isolation is is that silver bullet, but um, um, that it, you know, there's no silver bullet at this point. So, yeah, and if you look at all the solutions we've talked about so far, all of them take energy, all of them take power, whether it's hydrogen, uh, obviously the batteries and various sizing and charging them. So, it's working with the the network operators on the power that's going there as well to really sort of identify what that charging capacity needs to be. Hmm. So, I mean, the concept is fantastic, as you say, the sort of the slow lane of motorways, dual carriageways, wherever the, the route may be, having sort of pantographs running all alongside them. I guess, you know, many people in that business will be wetting their lips at the idea of putting all these things up. But I guess the, the obvious question there is, you know, this, this is not going to be really expensive. It, it is. And yeah, it's going it's it's to cost money. Um, I think whichever solution, you know, you go with, it's, you know, the, the infrastructure um, that is needed you know, to to transmit hydrogen, for example, is going to be phenomenal. That and, and you know, this is um, you know, we, we think that um, you know a, a concerted um, program of effort um, in terms of erecting a, um, an ERS system on, on motorways and constructing static charging facilities um, is is not going to be anywhere. Well, we believe it's probably going to be cheaper than the hydrogen solution. Um, it, it can offer some advantages in terms of. Um, over a big battery solution where the um, the, the power lines of, of um, the, the electricity companies tend to follow the um, the line of the um, the motorways and the, the strategic road network so actually um, tapping into the um, into the electrical system can um, can be done more often rather than um, having big uh, with a big battery solution having large um, single effort um, connections at, at logistics facilities that kind of thing so I think um, that I think across the board, there's a huge infrastructure challenge to get the infrastructure in play to get to a place by 2040 where we're not um, selling um, diesel HGVs anymore. Um, yes, there is a that, that challenge is is there for ERS, but it's there for all um, all solutions. I think. Um, adding to Andrew's point is that we looked at the whole life costs of the vehicles, and we looked at the cost of the actual infrastructure itself to roll it out. So uh, effectively, for if you once we've done the trial to prove it along with the other technologies uh, and you rolled it out across the whole country, we were looking at in the region of about £20 billion, which sounds a, a huge amount of money. But if you look at the scale of that, would be around 5,500 kilometres. Um, but in the way that we, you can do it is you can actually pay it back and actually recover the cost over 20 years because it reduces the cost of the actual vehicle and the um, power they're using compared to diesel. And um, effectively as well, it's... Uh, it, you can you can charge for the use of by the kilowatt hours etc so effectively by charging for the use of electricity 
uh, and rolling it out, it pays for itself, which is a, a really good option. And you know, you you say that's a lot of money, and and yes, it it is a lot of money. But in the context of what major infrastructure projects cost to deliver, and this would be a major infrastructure project slash program. I mean, I that doesn't sound you know out of a ballpark in terms of what we do spend on things. So you say sort of twenty billion pounds for a a, a, a UK wide network. Yes. So that effectively that system, say five thousand five hundred kilometres. Um, and I think we worked out that would probably be about 80% of the HGV journeys itself. Uh, and that rollout would be over sort of a seven to 15 year period. So effectively you, you increase the power as you go. Um, so you wouldn't roll out all in one go, but that, that was the life of what that would be. So. But that, that's, um, we, we looked at three scenarios, a, a kind of, if you like, heavy scenario where we um, electrified the whole of the SRN, strategic road network. And then we, we scaled that back twice down to a, a more lightweight scenario where yeah we think 5,500 kilometres of um, single lane ERS plus around 2,000 static charging facilities would actually enable um, virtually all the journeys for the current logistics sector. Um, so um, you know we, we've done quite a lot of modelling work that sits behind um, you know th- those numbers. It's, there's, there's two two key figures there, but there's a lot of work going on behind behind the scenes that, that, that demonstrate or that back up those, those two numbers. And so we're pretty confident that, um, yeah, that, that, that would um, enable um, an ERS um, solution to come into play. Okay. Well, I'm not clear. I'm not the Chancellor of the Exchequer, but £20 billion to me sounds like it's, it's doable in the context of a medium-term sort of strategic transport plan. So that, you know, that bit sounds, sounds, sounds fine to me. I guess the, the obvious follow-on question then is, okay, that's you sort of, 20 billion as a as a concept but we have a bit of a history in this country unfortunately of of seeing cost overruns on our major infrastructure projects and i suppose if we were to make the most direct comparison to the rail electrification program which i mean if we just look at the the great western mainline electrification where the cost went from sort of 870 ish million to five and a half ish billion how would we learn from that and make sure that doesn't happen again i, I suppose as i'm in the rail sector i should uh... <laughs> yeah yeah i'm i've most of my crews in the highway sector so i'll, I'll boot that one up to justin excellent justin you, some, uh... you're in the chair for this one yeah i mean the great western obviously has caused an issue for the rail sector in general for the, the increasing costs and uh there's been some good reports by the Rail Industry Association, which looks at reducing the cost of electrification and looks at the Great Western history, uh, issues. And I think one of the things we've got to learn from that is A, planning it properly and budgeting it before you start. Uh, and, and B, is not bettering the network and putting the costs in it. So effectively what I mean by that is if you're electrifying the route, the cost of electrification is the cost of that. You're not then relaying roads because you want to relay roads putting on sort of side bits for it and so effectively what you're doing is using the electrification as a, a way of enhancing the actual network yeah and I, I think there's a huge um a hugely important piece here in in terms of how you establish an organization that could deliver this if you if you went down um the kind of project 13 principles and thought about alliancing and, and bringing um you know um an organization that is really thoroughly thought through in terms of how you procure it uh, quickly, how you get them all working together in a collaborative way and, um, you know, um, offsite manufacture, all, all those kind of great things that program related organizations can deliver. 
um, uh, you know, they absolutely need to be brought into play here. So there's a lot of thought needs to be brought around that, that program operating model. And that point you just made there, Andy, about um, off-site sort of modern methods of construction. I mean, for a, for a progressive, you know, innovative industry that we all want to be a part of, this would be a fantastic opportunity to really kind of ramp up our efforts in that space. Yeah. So I guess, and for a company like like Costain or any um, civils company designer or contractor, this would be a fantastic opportunity to show indeed, what we indeed, can do. Absolutely, definitely. Um, and what you're looking at as well from from Siemens' point of view, you know, this is almost technology neutral for all intents and purposes. One, you know, putting up over a headline. Yeah. All right, we're doing it first. We're pioneering it. We're not the only company. If you're rolling that out, it wouldn't just be Siemens rolling out. It would be obviously a collaboration of businesses and manufacturers that would have to do it through the civils and the technology partners as well. So, yeah. And and to add further reassurance, I mean, the good news is um, I understand, you know, this system is already in use some in other places in Europe. So, you know, do you want to share a couple of examples of, of where this is being used quite effectively. I certainly can. Uh, I came back from Hamburg last week, in fact, Excellent. which is one of our uh, one of our trial sites. So we've got um, three trial sites in in Germany currently running. One in Frankfurt on the A5, and that started off around about three and a half years ago, uh, which was five kilometres on two sides of the stretch of the motorway. Uh, that currently, because it's been so successful, is being extended by another seven kilometres on one side. Uh, and that's to work with, I think there's six different businesses there that are using them in anger as a logistics sector. Uh, the one in Hamburg I was out at last week, um, that is one operator that's using that. And again, it's about five kilometers on both sides of the motorway. Um, the good thing is about that for real life scenarios is um, from the logistics center to the port, uh, that's about half the journey. And they're using those six vehicles around uh, five to six carriages a day backwards right. and forwards between the logistics center and the port and they're actually using them and uh, they really enjoy them at the moment they're diesel hybrids that they're using but the first battery hybrids actually due for delivery this week out in hamburg which is why i was out there to sort of sort of see how that's coming along um but if you look across europe uh sweden at the moment are going through procurement they've looking at a 20 kilometer stretch where they're actually um uh, looking at that say it's in the procurement exercise they they've decided that that electric roads is a route they want to go down so they're actually in themselves putting the budgets for that together so as you can see in europe there's more and more of it where they, they're trialing it they're testing it and they're thinking that's the right solution uh, we need to make sure as an island we're not left behind and have people stuck on the uh, in the ports yeah and it's worth noting that um germany are heading to a much longer corridor so they they have plans in play to um put a 200 kilometer long corridor that will test um not only um, battery electric ERS, but also hydrogen. So they're, you know, they're putting something really, r very, very tangible on the ground. Two hundred k's is, um, you know, a, a genuine route rather than just um, a short section. Yeah, and that's that just all builds confidence in in it as a proposed solution, as indeed would a trial in the UK. And as as I mentioned at the start, we've got a you've got a proposal for the M180 um, in the Humberside region. So, so yeah, talk to us a little bit about that, where we've got to with that and what we can expect to see. So we um, we, we want to commission um, uh, with, with the government um, to undertake a feasibility, feasibility study in, in terms of where, where would we put, um, where would we and what would the scope of a, any kind of demonstrated project be? Um, and we spent, we spent nine months um, 
kind of working, bu- building a consortium uh, our, ourselves, uh, Costain, Siemens, Harriet Watt University, who did a lot of, um, of, of the logistics modeling um, behind everything, um, Cambridge University, and a whole heap of um, smaller um, consultancies involved. And we, we did um, a very in-depth um, feasibility study into the demonstrator project, but also did a piece of work around what would a national rollout look like. Um, in, in terms of the demonstrator project, um, you know, we, we did a, a lot of um, a lot of engineering design in the civil engineering, um, in the, um, the the kind of electrical side of things, in in, in traction power and over, overhead contact line systems, static charging. We looked at the environment. Uh, we did we did a specific study um, on the chosen site, which, as you said, was the, M- the M180, and, and looked at consenting routes, construction methodology. We costed it, we scheduled it, um, and, you know, we, um, we, we came up with a, a, a final solution um, that um, in terms of electrification, we were looking at two separate 10 kilometer sections um, with, a, with a 10 kilometer gap uh, in, in between the two. Um, we had, um, uh, so, and both those were heading in the same direction. We, we we were planning to place um, static charges in in um, and that as, as you said earlier is, is on the M118 Lincolnshire. Um, we were planning to put static charges in in place in Doncaster, Leeds, Sheffield, and Manchester. Such so that through those two 10k sections and the um, the arrangement of the static charges, you could mimic all the different um, um, vehicle um, logistics movements with different sized batteries on vehicles and all this kind of thing. So you, you were creating a, a kind of living lab to n- enable you to test. Um, all those, all those journeys, and all the modelling that, that we've done, um, we think that um, that would cost about 100 million pounds, uh, and it would take 12 to 15 months to construct post um, proving the safety case with national highways, particularly, um, and any design, all the design that needed doing. Okay, and and how and the and, and you mentioned the safety case, but I imagine that's a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, is is that something you're currently sort of directly engaged with national highways on at the moment and not 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 at this moment in time so in in the nine months we um spent uh, quite a bit of time um engaging with national highways and and as you can imagine uh uh you know a highways operator um the thought of someone coming to put live electricity wire above the slow lane of the motorway is um you know something that's difficult to comprehend i would say it's probably the right terminology um so we we began the safety case process um, um, talking about, you know, we, we spoke to um, um, maintenance areas, highway operators, we spoke to emergency services, we spoke to vehicle recovery organisations, and we began the process of developing a safety case. Clearly, that need, that there's a big piece of work there to, 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 to finish that off um, um, and, um, you know, get, get national highways in a place where they would be happy to um, um, put a, a demonstrated project on the ground. And I think if you think uh, what Andrew's just saying there as well, the advantage you have is that, as I go back to what we said about light rail, there is already history with roads having overhead wire above to run vehicles. Yes. All right, be it trains and in a fixed direction. So we're not, for some elements of the of the actual safety case, we're not necessarily starting from scratch. It might be tweaking insofar as you're on a motorway rather than in a city, etc. So you've got different speeds, etc. But it's not starting from scratch, so it's a really advantageous there. I suppose the other point to mention on, on why we looked at the M180 is you have a port and you have a very big logistics centre. I think Doncaster has something like 10 million square foot of logistics areas, and obviously they've been very much engaged in the process and they're very interested in it, as have the sort of the Humber region and sort of Lincolnshire Council. So I think there's certainly 
a want for it from the sort of uh, governmental side and certainly to, talking to some of the logistics companies that are now involved like sort of the John Lewis, et cetera, and Asda and the Kingfisher Group, you know, there is more and more people now saying, actually, this is a technology we need to really understand because if we're going to have a decarbonized network, we need to plan for the future. So what's the, what's the current sort of blocker in things? Is it is it, is it the safety case? Is it, is it money? Is it financing it? Um, uh, t- to be honest, we don't know. Um, we, you know, we put our feasibility study in, I think, in probably a year ago. Yeah, it was just... Just off, it was probably about yeah, March last was, year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's about it's about a year ago, and um, yeah, it's gone quiet. The, the plan the plan was um, that a demonstrated um, project would would hit the ground um, soon after, um, but actually, it's just gone quiet. It's it's you know, it's gone back into 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 DFT and government, and um, you know, it's uh, it's probably like it's lots of other similar infrastructure projects. It's just stuck in in maybe the world of politics and funding and difficult economic situations. I think everything stops at Treasury at the moment, doesn't it? But certainly, whilst it's gone quiet, we still keep obviously dialogue with NFA UK and DFT, and so they are they have started the process of procurement for the big batches and hydrogen because that obviously doesn't take a huge amount of infrastructure for the trial. Um, and certainly we're under the impression that by the summer this year there should be sort of information coming out on what that electric road would be but it's government circles and when they say summer is it this summer or next summer <laughs> and, and yeah and, and uh, well as you say I mean clearly there's a, the, I mean government department transport is grappling with a lot of challenges at the moment yeah and, indeed, um, indeed. Um, and indeed National Highway is grappling with quite a few challenges around smart motorways and other things so, yeah, so yeah. I can imagine there's all kinds of perfectly valid reasons why things are, are not moving as smoothly as they could. But perhaps this we take this time as the opportunity to continue to sort of build the, the evidence base for why this this is a, a feasible thing. We continue to learn from the, the trials um, in, in Germany and Sweden and, and we continue to develop our technical understanding of how the solution would work um, so, so we're ready to deploy it um, if and when. Um, all the all the, the approvals processes start to start to start to happen, and I think one of the things we've got to consider as well, though, is we've talked a lot around the costs, the technology. We haven't really talked around carbon mm. and the fact that you know you can't negotiate with climate change at the moment. So you know, whilst it's very easy to say you know we need to hold it, we're not talking about a large sum compared to the a lot of things going on at the moment for the trial. Um, and by, you know, they've already announced that they're going to stop the procurement or um, of new diesel engines for HGVs in 2040. So we do need to be very, very conscious still that you know, this is a way of reducing carbon. It is. The clock is ticking. Um, you know, the, 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 the things I mentioned around, you know, there's a heap of infrastructure to deliver for whatever solution gets on the ground eventually. And um, the clock is ticking. It's... It's getting close to um it's going to be a real struggle to make anything happen for or the right things happen for 2040 yeah absolutely and and, and certainly as a as a profession which is committed to uh, creating a better world to creating an, a decarbonized world you know we i guess we, we need all the tools at our disposal and tools like um electric roads is is, is is you know it's a really potentially really powerful tool for us to us to capitalize on Indeed, I think um, again, as we said earlier, the fact that it is proven tech, it's today's proven technology that can um, supplement the other the other two potential technologies um, 
is, I think, is a huge advantage for it. Well, indeed. Well, great. Well, as I say, if I was the Chancellor, I'd be definitely giving you the all guns blazing thumbs up. Unfortunately, I'm not. But but nevertheless, um, that's been a great discussion and, and, and really interesting to hear about the opportunities presented by the electric road system and, and how we how we might actually begin to roll it out. Um, I say definitely an issue for ICU members to be considering as we work towards creating a net zero society. Um, to those of you listening, you can learn more about this topic and find more podcasts, videos and other resources on the ICE Knowledge Hub. This has been an ICE Tech Talks podcast. I've been Mark Hansford and thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>